Welcome back to Seattle's Morning News. We're skipping the newscast at 7.30 because joining us live now is Governor Jay Inslee ahead of his trip to Clark County today. The governor talking about a new criminal justice training commission center opening there. Something needed in our state to bolster recruitment efforts, plus a solar facility, new affordable housing. We want to talk about that. But, Governor, I have to start with the exchange you had with reporters yesterday regarding evidence that emerged that multiple analysts knew and informed you and lawmakers about the impact on gas prices from the Climate Commitment Act. We heard you yesterday denying that this evidence was valid, despite the analysts being spot on and prices showing it. Prices up 40 to 45 cents a gallon. That's exactly what happened. How do you respond to that today? Well, first off, we ought to be pleased. Prices have come down almost a dollar. On a national average. You said that yesterday, Governor. It has come down, it has come down about a, a dollar, so that's good news. But our prices actually, are still higher here in our state. Unfortunately, our prices have all been higher, always been higher on the West Coast of the United States. Not for Oregon and Idaho. Case. That has always been the case, that Oregon, Washington, and California have always been in the top five or six nationally. And we ought to now continue this effort to drive down pollution the oil companies want to be able to pollute in infinite amounts, which are harming the health of our children. And we cannot allow infinite pollution. We've got to have a cap on the amount of pollution. And we also have to get to the transparency so we really know about the potential gouging by the oil industry. This is an industry that wants to continue to make $200 billion of profits while whipsawing us on their prices and then polluting in infinite amounts. We can't accept that, and we aren't going to go backwards to allow more pollution. You know, there's a study just the other day that found 16 communities in Washington, starting with Ellensburg, that have a reduction of life of two and a half years as a result of the pollution from this industry. So we are going to continue our effort to restrain pollution, and we're going to use the dollars generated by this to really help Washingtonians. In fact, one of the things I'm going to Vancouver about today is to look at a community solar installation from the ports of, um, uh, of Washougal and, uh, and Camas, I believe, to really help people get access to cheaper electricity, to get solar panels for their houses. Nobody's denying that, that solar zero. energy is uh, good for us, that we don't want pollution, that pollution is bad for our health. Nobody is arguing that. Everybody sees well, actually, prices are, going actually, down actually, on the national no, no, front, no, but we're looking at the no, data right actually, in front of us. In fact, Chris Sullivan has the data on gas prices in surrounding states. What I want you to focus on, though, is the Climate Commitment Act. This was your yeah, Climate bam. Commitment Act. We're not talking about solar facilities. We're not talking about pollution no, no, impacts. We are talking we're talking about, talking about the talking impact about of the Climate Commitment Act on gas prices and that Washingtonians okay, are really struggling, me, Governor. So let me finish the sentence here for a second so we can have an honest discussion here. We are talking about those who want to repeal the Climate Commitment Act, which would eliminate the help we're giving to Washingtonians to deal with these high prices, including a proposal we have made to help uh, 2 million Washingtonians with their utility bills by using the funds. And in fact, unfortunately, there are those who are, in fact, trying to eliminate that stream of funding that is helping so many people get their utility bills lower. And unfortunately, there are those who are wanting to pollute in infinite amounts. And it's unfortunate, but that is the truth. So I'm, we're going to go down and celebrate some good news uh, down in Clark County about moving forward against climate change. I'm proud of our state. We are leading the country on it. We're going to continue. 
We're also going to go down tomorrow, uh, today, and celebrate this uh, new criminal justice training center. We need more officers on the street, and what we've done is to uh, have two new criminal justice training centers, which really helps our recruiting so that people can get trained closer to where they live. I've also proposed a $10 million fund to help local communities hire more police officers as well. We also, I'm hoping the legislature will fund 80 new positions with the state patrol. This is something that's needed, and we want to celebrate that today. Absolutely, something that's needed in the state. Now, the initiative to repeal the Climate Commitment Act is likely a reaction to the fact that you told, and we have you on record, saying prices would go up just pennies, if anything. And you said, in fact, gas prices might lower. And that has turned out to be not true, Governor. I won't call it a lie because we don't know your intent, but it's not true. What would it cost you politically to just admit the Climate Commitment Act did increase gas prices more than you said it would? Consumers are hurting and they want to see it go away. So they don't want to see it go away, and I'll tell you why. They want to have cleaner air and they don't want to have infinite pollution. This bill fundamentally uh, uh, caps the amount of pollution that our kids are breathing. We have an epidemic of asthma in our in our state. We have forest fires burning down whole towns. I was in Medical Lake watching a whole town almost burn down because of climate change. And I do believe Washingtonians want to restrain pollution. I also think they want to have transparency about these oil company profits that people are making. And they don't want to be whipsawed by this. That's one of the reasons we want to link our market with California and Quebec so that we can restrain restrain some of the compliance costs that companies do have. I think that can be a salutary impact. Look, our Department of Ecology made honest, good-faith efforts trying to predict what the oil companies would do. But they control it. They whipsaw us. We don't control those prices. And they, they raise prices more than the ecology company uh, department predicted based on the information they had at that time in California. That was a good-faith effort. And now we're making big investments to help Washingtonians get uh, cheaper, more reliable and cleaner energy. And I hope we will continue on that path. Governor, you talk about the the transparency. And one thing that I think confuses a lot of people, perhaps the perspective, you talk about the whipsawing and the gouging of these evil oil companies. Why does that not extend past Washington's borders? Why are they not gouging the same amount in Idaho and Washington? Oregon's price, 70 cents cheaper than Washington today. Idaho's 94 cents. Why does the gouging only seem to impact Washington? Well, to to start, if you look back, roll back the tape, West Coast states have always been in the top five of of gas prices in the United States. But not by a dollar between them. Well, it's not a dollar. I haven't looked. It at is it a dollar today between Idaho and seventy-six cents in Oregon. It's never been that it much. Has, it has been significant differences. There are some costs, and and the Department of Ecology told people there would be some costs associated with this. It's probably in. It, it's not in the range of a dollar. I disagree with that assessment. Well, I've paid it driving back and forth between Montana almost every weekend this last couple of months. You go across the Idaho border, boom, eighty to ninety cents cheaper. That's a fact. It's always been the case. It's no, it hasn't, Governor. Well, we'll have to look at the graphs, and I'm not going to argue about this. I have the graphs in front of me. But I'll tell you what. But I can tell you this. We should not allow these pollution, this pollution in infinite amounts, number one. Number two, we should have a law in this state, which is uh, insists on transparency of the oil companies, to find out why they are making profits of $200 billion 
uh, while they're whip signers on these, and we should do that. And I hope that the legislature will pass that this year and continue and not cut off the funds that are helping, including our transportation. Look, we've got a transportation problem. We've got problems with our ferries. And if this bill is eliminated, we'll, we'll blow a $1 billion hole in our ability to continue to build this state. I do not believe that's the route we should go. And this is helping us build our state, and I think we should continue to do that. With that, I'm going to have to excuse myself because I've got to get on the road, but I will look forward to another conversation. Yes, us too. Governor Jay Inslee, we do appreciate you joining us uh, yes. and talking about the Climate Commitment Act. If the reaction on our text line says anything, it's going to be a tough fight against that initiative this year. Good. I'm looking forward to a good discussion. Thank We've you, Governor. Continue to build our state. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sully. Colleen O'Brien with you, Tom Hutler at the Anchor Desk, and you just heard from Sully. Good to have you with us on this Friday. Joining us now is Face the Nation lead moderator Margaret Brennan, who just returned from a week at the U.S.-Mexico border. Yes, I just returned from Eagle Pass, Texas, one of the busiest uh, ports of entry to the United States and a community of just 30,000 residents on this rural stretch of the border between the U.S. and Mexico. And they are in desperate need, according to Border Patrol officials we spoke with, for more resources from the federal government to deal with the influx of migrants and asylum seekers. They also want more uh, policies or consequences to dissuade migrants from making the trek in the first place. And while you were at the border this week, Margaret, you sat down with House Speaker Mike Johnson, who was also there. Uh, where do he and the Biden administration diverge on a border plan? Well, you know, lawmakers don't come back to Washington until next week. But during this break, uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, took 64 lawmakers to tour federal facilities and speak to local law enforcement as well to see the crisis firsthand. We toured those same federal facilities to see just how stretched the resources are and the amount of uh, their, of what they're being asked to, to process. Um, before Christmas, they had to shut down. Uh, in the sector of the border we were in, only four miles of a 242-mile stretch were able to be patrolled uh, because uh, there were just so many people coming across that had to be processed. And so that just underscores uh, the, the reason this is both a national security issue and a humanitarian crisis. Um, but where we see the divergence in what to do about that is the president of the United States currently is asking for $14 billion to surge in funding to these folks on the front line to deal with the problem at hand. Uh, Republicans are pushing for policy changes as well that would include making it harder for migrants to get into the United States uh, and, and be able to claim uh, asylum. And in the Senate, there are negotiations happening on a bipartisan basis. That's not happening in the House. Speaker Johnson told us he's open to considering what the Senate is able to agree to with the White House, uh, but he wants he wants to go a step further. He also told us that he wants President Biden to take executive action beforehand and just unilaterally um, adopt policies that he has the legal authorities to do uh, that are more similar to Trump era policies. And, and that just brings us back to mm. the fact that this is a presidential election year and that is going to add complexity to this already very complicated situation. Absolutely. And you mentioned Republicans want to make it harder to cross the border. Harder how? Well, I should say that these conversations in the Senate involve Democrats as well. And they are considering, uh, as according to CBS reporting, things like um, raising the standard for credible fear to claim asylum. Uh, some of these migrants who come across when they are apprehended 
So they are crossing illegally but apprehended, and they say, I'm claiming asylum. I have a fear for my life. And then there's a legal definition of what that means. Right now, there's such a shortage of resources that getting a, a hearing to test the validity of that claim can take years. And so people live here while they're waiting for that day in court. Raising that standard of what it would take to claim asylum is one of the things Democrats and Republicans are negotiating over. And exactly how you define that is thorny. Do you provide asylum to groups of people? How do you just define the political persecution that they claim? And if they're economic migrants, like some of those that we met who simply want to come here for a better life, that's really essentially who they're looking to dissuade uh, from coming across um, and making that dangerous trip. There's also conversations happening in the Senate about um, when they would shut down processing uh, and essentially say we we can't take in more asylum seekers while we process the ones we have. There's more expulsion authorities that would go back to what you saw during the pandemic, for example, when people were turned away without an asylum hearing uh, on the basis of a of a health concern. Right. That's not current law under international and U.S. law. You are allowed uh, to be able to have your claim of asylum heard. uh, And under expulsion authorities like that, you weren't even given that day in court. So those are some of the things that are um, being considered. Uh, Mike Johnson wants a remain in Mexico policy that would require asylum seekers to have their uh, to stay outside the U.S. while their claims are adjudicated, something Mexico strongly opposes. So what is Mexico doing about all of this? The Biden administration has spoken to the president there. They have asked the government to do their part to stop the flow. I asked Margaret that. Well, what we heard from senior Border Patrol officials and policy folks here in Washington was that You know, this is a hemisphere-wide crisis. These migrants aren't just coming to the U.S. They're moving into Mexico, obviously, before they get to the U.S. as well. Um, But that many of these other countries along the way are are also overwhelmed. With Mexico, right before the new year, they had pulled back on policing. They weren't stopping trains and pulling people off of them. They weren't stopping uh, people when they enter on Mexico's southern border from moving up to the U.S. border uh, like the U.S. had wanted them to do. They weren't doing what the United States would have liked to slow down at least the flow of humans (laughs) uh, who are transiting by train and foot and buses. Mm -hmm. But also, let's be clear here, and Mexican officials will be coming to Washington, there is also tension in regard to the criminal element, the smugglers and the cartels who are making money by treating humans like commodities. The Border Patrol officials we spoke with said that They estimate in that one sector of the border alone, the smugglers make $32 million a week by having these people pay them to sneak them into the United States. And and that ranges from really heartbreaking stories of people who just want a better life to sometimes criminal elements of individuals who want to get through the border. And Border Patrol officials say we need more resources to be able to determine who is who. Who are the bad actors? Who are the genuine folks? And and who do we need to turn away? And Mexico is a key part of it. And that is why, for example, senior administration officials oppose readopting Remain in Mexico because they need Mexico's help. And the Mexican government doesn't want that Trump era policy to come back. The border crisis has been in the news for years, if not decades, but specifically years recently. It is top political fodder. What did you see Mm -hmm. that was different down at the border this week? Well, it's an important point. I mean, this is an incredibly 
tough thing to have negotiated, and it hasn't been uh, in decades. Every time in the past at least 30 to 40 years, there have been major changes or attempted to immigration overhaul. They have failed because it's so thorny. What is different now is the sheer volume of humans Mm -hmm. trying to move through the hemisphere. It is a hemisphere-wide crisis. You have countries like Venezuela, which is just uh, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging people, um, and that sending them through all the surrounding countries. You have uh, Honduras, a lot of migrants from Honduras that we saw at the border. These countries are, are hemorrhaging humans, and that is just happening at a volume all at once that makes the situation different also happening in Haiti, um, you know, just failed states. And so people are, are moving and that is happening in a way that is overwhelming the existing system. And that's why there's conversations about changing it. The other thing that is different is the makeup of nationalities. The border patrol officials we spoke with said they had encountered 61 different nationalities, people as far away as China, Bangladesh, Middle East were coming in. And so this is not just the traditional uh, story of folks moving from America's backyard to its southern border. These are folks traveling around the world uh, to come in through the southern border. This will be the topic of discussion this Sunday on Face the Nation. CBS's foreign affairs correspondent and moderator, Margaret Brennan. Margaret, thank you for joining us. Thank you. In the nation's northwest corner... At 6.35, our resident historian Felix Bennell joins us. He's here every Friday morning for All Over the Map. It's a quick look at the stories behind local places and things. And this week, a new folk song debuts to commemorate the spooky and sad legend of the SS Clallam, which sank exactly 120 years ago and which is one of the deadliest disasters ever in local waters. Felix? Good morning. Yeah, we're talking about the old Mosquito Fleet, what they call those hundreds of vessels that plied the waters around here before highways and bridges and cars came along and stomped all the romance and much of the danger out of local travel. Now, this was January 8th, 1904, when the steamer Clallam was on the last leg of its daily trip from Seattle to Victoria. After a stop in Port Townsend, the Clallam and about 100 passengers headed across the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Now, Nick Allard was just a small child then, so no one knew it was stormy out in the Strait with 60-mile-per-hour winds and 30- to 40-foot swells. Somehow or other, maybe because of a broken porthole cover that allowed in water, or perhaps because bilge pumps uh, were used incorrectly and brought seawater in rather than pumping it out, the clallum started to founder. Before too long, the rising seawater put out the fires in the boiler, leaving the 168-foot, 657-ton vessel helpless in the storm. Now, an inquest later revealed many missteps by the crew, the worst of which was launching three lifeboats filled with women and children, one after the other. Each one capsized by big waves, and all the occupants were lost. Several hours passed, and the Clallam was ultimately put under tow by another vessel, but then it rolled over and sank in the strait north of Port Townsend. We know that at least 56 lives were lost that day. Record-keeping is such that the actual number may have been higher. The exact location of the wreck has never been pinpointed, but it's on the list kept by our friends at the Northwest Shipwreck Alliance. Those are the guys who found the SS Dicks in the Pacific, and they do plan to locate it someday. Now, ever since Yedden Fitzgerald or maybe Elwa on the Rocks, I've loved me a good shipwreck song, which brings us up to the present. John Pontrello is a local singer-songwriter who heard the sad story of the Clallam last year, got inspired to write a song in time for the 120th anniversary. We got together. John told me that a lot of people thought the Clallam was cursed from the moment of its christening and two bad omens at a shipyard in Tacoma just nine months before it sank. Something, like, went wrong, and, like, the lady, like, had to, like, throw the champagne bottle, and it missed and, like, did not break. And so everyone was just like... 
oh my gosh. And then I don't know if it was that same day, but like when they unveiled the flag, the American flag, it was upside down, which is the maritime symbol for distress. I think I'll wait for the next boat, please. Oh, uh, now the part of the story that really grabbed John Pontrello was what's known as the legend of the bell sheep and what happened on the dock at the foot of Yesler Way as the crew was trying to load freight on the Clallam on that January morning long ago. The story goes that sheep were often shipped from Seattle to Victoria and a bell sheep was used to lead the other sheep on board. They would follow behind this one specific sheep and get up, go up the ramp, get into the boat. That same bell sheep would ride all the way to Victoria with the other sheep and then help them disembark and then ride back to Seattle alone to do the same thing all over again. The process had happened dozens of times. The old bell sheep was very reliable. But on January 8th, 1904, for some unknown reason, the bell sheep refused to go aboard the Clallam in Seattle. The crew could not get the bell sheep to do its job, so they finally just gave up and left it behind on the dock, loaded all the other sheep themselves, and headed off into history. Now, here then's a sampling of the bellwether sheep of the Mosquito Fleet as performed for Cairo News Radio late last year by John Pontrello. Oh, the bellwether sheep stood silently still, and nothing could alter his will. No, nothing could alter. So the captain said, gather the rest, leave the stubborn one behind. All aboard the SS Clallam, the children waved goodbye as the crew cast off its line. Now, the full, I'm, I'm the not going to lie, that sounds exactly like Death Cab for Cuties. I will it? follow you. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes, All right. have, he sounds like a dead ringer for Ben Gibbard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Now, the song's epic. The That's full a compliment, ver- by the yeah, way. Yeah, the full, Dead's the, a bad word at this point. Yeah. The, <laughs> the full version is eight minutes long, so we're not going to play the whole thing. But John Pontrello will, will be performing two shows next week at the Rabbit Box Theater at First and Pike on Thursday. And then next Saturday, we'll have all the info at My Northwest. Now, to take us to break, get us all the way to traffic and all the other radio stuff we have to do, let's hear a little bit more of John Pontrello with the bellwether sheep of the Mosquito Fleet. Some sheep are meant to follow, and some are meant to lead. So when that bell starts ringing, yeah, you know that you better Thank you so much, Felix. And we'll be back with traffic in a moment. It is 6.50 now. Dave's commentary, of course, brought to you by Wafed Bank. The Daily Dose of Kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. And again, we're moving the commentary and the Daily Dose of Kindness, which normally airs at 7.30. So if you like this and you're not with us normally at 7.30, now you have a reason to tune in. But we're moving it because the governor is going to be joining us at 7.30. Flower arrangements often only have one purpose. One woman in South Sioux City, Nebraska, though, is making the most of arrangements donated from celebrations of life, wedding, and more. Robin Lieber takes twice-blessed bouquets, which are personal-sized flower arrangements, to several nursing homes in the area. And she is the woman behind the mission. As part of her nonprofit, Sweet Like Honey, she takes apart bigger arrangements and builds personal-sized ones called twice-blessed bouquets. She tells NBC affiliate KTIV-TV I think it was something to uh, look forward to and appreciate that things are given more than once. You know, the shelf life of fresh flowers isn't very long. And to be able to be given twice makes it 
even more special. Sweet Like Honey makes the most of each flower arrangement given to the nonprofit. Families, funeral homes, and strangers donate the flowers. And sometimes I cry because it's a sad situation, um, but I pray for them because they're going through a whole new season without that person. And then I consider it a true honor to get a give back love to other people. She says it's her personal mission and purpose. To create a culture of kindness in Siouxland that includes everybody. And she includes a handwritten note in each bouquet, carefully crafted, ready to pass out the flowers to seniors and even strangers in the area. I had 10 bouquets and I said, Lord, you just have to show me where to go. But I went to Scooters and I went through the drive through and I got up there and I just said, could I bless you girls with a bouquet of flowers? That's so nice. Proving kindness can go a long way if you help spread it. Sweet Like Honey was awarded a $10,000 grant from the Missouri River Historical Development for a future storefront location for the nonprofit. 7.15 on the first Friday of the new year. Colleen O'Brien with you. Glad to have you here. The start of the new year is a good time to look at your finances and make some adjustments where needed. Consumer man Herb Weisbaum, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org, joins us now with three things you can do. Herb, good morning. Good morning, Colleen. And what is that first thing we can do? Well, you need to have a budget. So if you have a budget, congratulations, but you probably need to update it because inflation changed probably a lot of lines on your budget. If you don't have a budget, as you said, now is really the time to make one and start planning for 2024. It's sort of like a, a roadmap. You know, when you take a car trip, it shows you where you are and where you want to go. And this doesn't have to be like you're getting ready for an IRS audit or something like that. I mean, you don't have to go crazy, but start with the major expenses that you know you have. Uh, housing. Food, clothing, utilities, insurance, medical, transportation, maybe have some debt payments, entertainment, and don't forget personal spending. Again, you don't have to keep track of every pack of gum you bought, but if you have a three latte a day habit, I'm not mentioning you, by the way, uh, or you're going out to lunch. (laughs) What is it with everybody's beef on buying lattes? (laughs) It's cited as like one of the worst financial decisions you can make, and yes, yet we keep doing it. Well, right. So if you have that three uh, latte a day habit or you go out to lunch several days a week, that is a significant expense and it should be noted. So by looking at that, what's coming in and what's going out every month, you'll be able to prioritize cut spending where needed. And you may be surprised at what you find. Again, the lattes may add up. But one thing I pointed out on my checkbook story was people oversubscribing to entertainment oh, services. Yeah. You know, we all signed up for these things during the pandemic. They're on automatic billing in most cases, and it's very easy to overlook those payment. So maybe you don't need five or six video streaming services. Maybe you just pick one or two and cancel the others. Do you have any favorite online tools? I feel like my husband and I have used, you know, bank banks themselves and credit unions. They have tools for budgeting. There's Mint that I know of. Are any of them better than the others? Uh, I actually don't use them. I just do it the old-fashioned way. Oh. I just keep a look at what I'm spending. And, and, and again, you know, I, if it works for you, great. Um, I don't like to share a whole lot of financial information with a lot of websites that are collecting data. But I just look at what's going in and what's going out. And, again, if you're not sure, check your checkbook, check your credit card statement for a, a couple of months, and, and you'll be able to figure it out and do it on your own. But if you if you have one you like, that's great. It's not a bad idea to do your own personal audit, though, and get intimate with what you're spending. A lot of these... Uh, right. Apps and websites do make it too easy, and it's easy to gloss over what you're actually spending. So good point there, Herb. Now, you mentioned three things we can do. What's the second? Second one, we should have a drum roll here, is pay down your credit card debt. (laughs) 
because this is absolutely the most expensive type of consumer debt you have. So focus on paying it off in 2024. It's going to free up money for your monthly budget. If you're sitting down, here we go with the numbers. The average interest on unpaid balances is currently 20.74%, almost 21%. The average retail credit card is even higher, 29% on average. Some retail cards, you know, the store cards you got, sign up right now today during the holidays, and we'll give you 20% off your purchase, Mr. Weisswab. Just say uh, no. They can be as high as... Yeah, 32%. So uh, that's the highest bank rate has ever tracked these two numbers, 21% for unpaid balances, 29% for retail cards. Just start paying them down and figure out a way that works for you. And the minimum payment, that's really great. It's better than missing a payment because that'll really ding your credit score, but it ain't going to get you anywhere. The average American... Colleen has a $6,000 credit card debt. If you make the minimum payment each month, you would be in debt for more than 17 years, and it would take you, uh, it would be $9,000 in interest that you'd pay on that $6,000 balance. So you really do yeah. want to start paying down the balance. That is heartbreaking. Yeah, it takes so long. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got that really just spoke to the way my brain works is figure out if you're a, a person who likes a, a quick reward or if it's better for you to have a long-term reward. So if you have multiple piles of debt, see them like mountains. Do you want to climb the biggest mountain first will that make you feel more accomplished or do you climb the little ones first before you tackle the big one it's different for everybody i turn out to be the one who likes to climb the big mountain first and then deal with the small ones later but it can be different for everybody yeah. yeah yes and and as long as you start that's the goal yes. there, there are many approaches to how to do that but the key is to start because you're paying you know every hundred dollars that you are paying to the credit card company to pay off your bill 21 percent, let's say is 21 dollars of that hundred dollars is going for the interest and not for paying down the principal. Yuck. Now, I imagine uh, savings is a big one, too. Yes, that's number three. Create an emergency fund or add to your existing account. Everyone needs to have some emergency savings set aside for that unplanned budget expense, a car problem, home repairs, medical bills. If you lose your job unexpectedly, you need a little emergency fund. Most Americans have very little emergency savings. According to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, only one in four people, 24%, uh, about one in four, 24% have none whatsoever, and another 39% have less than one month set aside. Uh, experts vary on this, but they say you should probably have uh, – three to six months of what you would normally spend set aside. But you know what? That's a pretty daunting goal. So we're saying start. Set a goal, $500, $1,000. If you had $1,000 put aside, you'd be ahead of most Americans in this country today. And then once you hit that, move it up another $500. Start little, 20 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, whatever you can afford. And if you're employed, see if your employer can split your paycheck. Many will between that checking the emergency, between the checking the emergency savings account. You know, if you don't, if you don't touch it, it's not there. It doesn't go away. Uh, that's uh, really the key. And you mentioned about paying down debt, and this is the most important thing I think in my story on Checkbook. It is if you are in trouble and you're falling deeper and deeper in debt, you have to do something about it. Don't do these services. Hey, send us some money. We'll take care of you. Get a nonprofit credit account to help you. There's a group called the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Go on their website, 
Find a counselor near you. You can talk to them on the telephone. They'll set up, help you set up a budget. They'll start a payment plan. In many cases, they can lower, they can negotiate with your creditors and lower the interest rate. Uh, in my career, colleague, I've spoken to people who have sixty, eighty thousand dollars in credit card debt, mm. and within four years, they had it completely paid down, and we're about to put a down payment on a mortgage. It really can happen if you have somebody working for you. You want a nonprofit credit counselor, NF. CC.org is the website for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Herb, this is uh, Chris. Really quickly, for me, my lattes, the lattes would be replaced with IPAs, so we can do that. But the thing that gets like me... That better, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, well, the, the thing that gets me, my wife is our CFO, and it's that daily uh-huh. kind of discretionary thing that I don't keep track of. It is that pack of gum. It is, you know, that little thing. Do you have any advice on how to rein that part of it in? Because that really is probably gives you the whammy at the end of the month, you're like, wow, where did that go? Well, maybe put in your budget so much money every week for uh, little personal items like that. So say I'm not going to and make it a rule that you, you, neither of you will spend or you, I won't spend more than $5 on uh, this, the things like that, or I won't spend more than 5 So you have a number so it's a range you can set is the best idea that I could think of. Figure out a way to, because to, it is, a lot of little things, it's amazing how quickly a lot of little things can mm-hmm. add up if you're doing it on a regular basis. So maybe give yourself a little allowance. Here's yeah. how much we have for those little things every month. That might be the way to go. That's what we did at one point too when we were trying to pay down debt is we worked in cash. It was like, here, here's your your cash for discretionary stuff for the next two weeks or the next month and when it's gone, it's gone. And it, it really makes you spend it smarter because you see it actually disappearing rather than a debit card. Always great advice. Consumer man Herb Weisbaum, contributing editor at checkbook.org. All of this advice we just discussed will be at checkbook.org. Herb, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a good weekend, Colleen. You too. 747 on Seattle's Morning News. Colleen O'Brien with you. Tom Hutler at the Anchor Desk. Chris Sullivan, of course, at the Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. And G. Scott. Good morning. Has Friday light come up today? Yeah, many times you are a main topic of the traffic reports this morning, Chief. Okay. Seems like you had a good commute in, though. Yeah, it was Friday light. Yeah, and Fresh Friday, too, fresh right? Friday. Are we still doing Fresh Friday in the new year? Yes, we are. Fresh oh, Friday okay. with an S. I know. I tried to wear, I wore my animal print today for Fresh Friday. I figured that was spicy. What's happening? What's um, going on? So, speaking of looking good on a Fresh Friday, there's <laughs> new data out there that analyzed uh, beauty pageants, celebrities. Yeah. Victoria's Secret Angels, mm-hmm. and the number of self-proclaimed models in order to determine the most beautiful states yeah. of the United States. Yes. We didn't do well. Yeah, Oh, we didn't. We no. didn't do well. No. Uh, does that surprise you? Y- yes, it does. The you fact think- yeah, the fact that you're trying to tell us, the state of Washington, that there's only seven states in the United States that are uglier than us. <laughs> you know what I mean? First, let's, get, let's, let's keep it a buck, y'all. Any... State that's on the coast automatically should be lumped into the top twenty. Mm, you know you what I mean? So? We if just take more if, time. If, on if ourselves. you're on the coast, mm. you know what I mean. Like the, the California is all down the, the line, and then on the other side of things, the top, the number one is something that I had. A, I'm from Illinois. Mm-hmm. How Illinois is number one? That's right. We haven't crazy. announced that yet. Illinois number one. Number one. You think what? You think Illinois is not? No, okay. I don't. Now, now we're, it, again, I have to clarify. We're just talking surface level beauty, right? They just analyzed Miss America. Yeah, like how many Miss Teen like winners they've had of pageants, yeah, pageants or who yeah, made yeah. it on Sexiest yeah. Man Alive, yeah. which so G just us, missed. None of us are saying 
that beauty doesn't belong on the inside no and that doubt. personality and that, you know, all of that. We're just talking about superficial. So, okay. Usually, Colleen, the state of Washington, when it's time for the list to come out on the healthiest and the most in shape and all those, usually Washington is always top 10, right? Mm-hmm. Top five, mm-hmm. top 10. And then to say that we're in that top 10, but then we're 43 mm-hmm. when it comes to attractiveness. I disagree. I will agree that number three they had on there was Texas. I was no- confused by number four. I'm confused by number four, too. Where did Nebraska come from? You never hear about Nebraska. <laughs> right? Now, I'm sure there's somebody listening right now. Maybe you're Gen Z. Maybe you're listening and you're sitting here like, yo. Cost of living is tough here in the Seattle area. Maybe that adds to our stress. I've been struggling. I might want to move to Nebraska. But what is happening in Nebraska? I don't know anybody from Nebraska. I don't remember the last time Nebraska was in the news. Mm -hmm. What do they do there? Uh, Eat good protein? Yeah, I guess so. And just (laughs) act beautiful. Uh, So, yeah, Illinois, California, Texas, Nebraska, New York. Is there, I don't think there's any argument with California and Texas. Te- Texas, for sure. I want to bring up Texas for a second. I, I, I've been to Texas uh, over the last month a few times. I was Beautiful just there. Folk. I was just there. Okay, since we're talking, okay. let me let me let me tell y'all something. Yeah. The plastic surgery in Texas that is done on the people that I saw in Texas mm-hmm. was very well done. Is it their proximity to the border? I don't know. Because I know, listen, I'm not judging. I'm not judging, right? I like I like Botox. I'm not I'm not hating. I'm but not. I know a lot of people go across the border to no. get their plastic surgery because it's cheaper. You think it's their proximity? Well, um, and is that no, cheating? No, I think, I, think, I think Texas has been doing a while. A while. I think beauty has been a real big thing in oh, Texas. Yeah. The higher the and hair, the high, closer you know to mean? God. So, yeah. Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders so come I to think, mind. I think... Can I ask y'all, in here le- locally, have you ever seen some plastic surgery? You're like, ooh. Sure. Things go too far. You know what I mean? Yeah. They go too far. But you know what? I feel like we're just talking about women here. Aren't men included? No, yeah, no, no, no men, no, men, no, totally. No, yeah, no, they, no. they included this in the list. I, they did because uh, all I see is beauty pageants, Victoria's Secret. Right. I made oh. sure, Colleen, because okay. I know I'm on the show with you. <laughs> when I was talking about Texas, yeah. I didn't say a, a specific gender. Yeah, Texas. I made sure to say that was me. I was just thinking Texas women. Okay, so that was you. That Good. Was me. Glad, glad I it was, was being you. Sexist. Darn now, it. again, California. I think mm, you can see some botched. Things down yeah, there, yeah. but California, you know, everybody wants to be a Hollywood star. Yeah. You have a lot of that. So you have San Diego, San Francisco, L.A., all those things. I understand those being in there. New York, I can understand. In Nebraska, I mean, that's a little tough. Alaska, where did they last? Last, they were fifty. Sally, huh. fifty. I think yeah. the hardest no, 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 people no, no, I'm of Alaska. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Alaska was 49th. South, South Dakota, Dakota was 50. Now, I've been to South Dakota twice you're in the thought? last 365 days. Careful you're, now. You're, oh, careful. They just look like hearty, good, work, hard-working humans. See, hard, what, what does hearty mean? Hardy means that they can it's handle cold themselves. There. It's like minus 16 degrees you don't there today. Pick a fight with them. They're hardy. Yeah. Kind of like Nebraska. But, but, but don't we want to snuggle with Hardy in the winter? 
Yeah. Well, you have you no know other I mean? choice in Nebraska and South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> I would, Nebraska. Maybe we can take a road trip to Nebraska. Right, but, but, but Wait, this has been a joy talking to you about this after that I interview do, with I'd Governor rather, Jay Inslee. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about this than all the other stuff that we talk about. On a so, Friday. You guys agree to forty three for Washington. That's rude. It's disrespectful. It's yeah, disrespectful. disrespectful. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to write into bonusfinder.com and let them know that their data is flawed. Okay. So Who would have guessed that a pitch that I got in my spam email yesterday that I just forwarded <laughs> as a joke turned into such a great topic? Oh. Big topic. All right, let's see. I wonder how the traffic's gonna be, Colleen. Oh, oh it's probably gonna be Friday light. What do you think, G? <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.